Welcome to the Weather Channel podcast. I'm Kate Parker. I'm a meteorologist for weather.com and the Weather Channel app. And we are talking tropics today. It is that time of year. And by that time of year, I mean May, because it has been May that we have talked about tropical development now for several years in a row. So once again, we have something that we're watching and this could potentially become a named system in the Atlantic. Yes. So we are watching that. We're going to break that down for you. And we're going to talk about the last time that that A name Arthur was uh, visited about six years ago. See if you remember that one, as well as some updates on Vong Fong and all the latest going on with that typhoon. So it is a tropical day. And joining me, we have Linda Lamb, one of our digital meteorologists. Hey, Kate. Nice to be here today. And Jan Childs, one of our writers and reporters that is in Florida and understands all too well what is happening anytime that there's a threat of the tropics. That's for sure. Hi, you guys. Nice to be with you again today. Well, so this latest tropical development, anytime I hear it, it's just one of those things that just kind of just gets your spidey senses going. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, it is that time of year that I'm going to have to pay attention to this for the next six months of my life. (laughs) And I know a lot of people are probably feeling that in Florida right now. What do you say, Jan? Right. So this is the thing when you, you know, we know that this isn't posing any sort of major threat, um, according to the forecast, right? But when you're sitting here and you see that area of red highlighted by the National Hurricane Center on the graphics that they put out, I, I can't even begin to tell you how unsettling that is in, in this current time of coronavirus and everything else going on. And you just add that on top. And I'm sure that everybody up and down the Southeast Coast feels exactly the same way. You just you see that graphic and you just think, oh, Really? Okay, it's that yeah, time of year. This and that. How can <laughs> I deal with right. a global pandemic and hurricane season? It's too much. I agree. Yeah. So you mentioned the forecast, Linda. This system, it doesn't look like these major, significant, wild, crazy impacts, but it is looking like something that we're watching for a reason. Can you break down the latest with this forecast, where it is, where it's going, and what it might develop into? Yeah, absolutely. So the good thing is it is only May, so we don't typically see major hurricanes, you know, at this time of year, but it's definitely more of a a wake up call. So this is one of those systems where we do need to to pay some attention and uh, maybe gets you thinking about what you're going to do, because it isn't going to be a, a super strong system. At this point, it's located near South Florida, and it's brought plenty of rainfall to parts of the region. We saw pretty impressive rainfall totals just yesterday in parts of the middle keys. We saw some gusts uh, gusts of wind 45 miles per hour in the lower keys yesterday. So as this area of low pressure begins to get its act together, we'll continue to see that chance for some gusty winds along with heavy rainfall throughout Southeast Florida, as well as into portions of the Bahamas. And that will continue into Saturday as that system kind of slowly moves off towards the Northeast. And as it does so tomorrow, that is when the National Hurricane Center indicates it has a, a high likelihood of becoming either a subtropical or tropical depression or storm, depending on 
uh, what exactly it looks like uh, tomorrow. And we do have so, a recon plane scheduled to go in tomorrow. So uh, that will give us uh, a better idea of exactly what we're dealing with. But the good news is it will it's expected to continue to move away from Florida as we head through this weekend. So that that is good news there. But like I said, heavy rain potentials there. You'll see some gusty winds. And with that, you also see more of an onshore flow, which will lead to high surf. And of course, the risk of rip currents is high as we head through today and into tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's happening right as a lot of beaches are starting to slowly open back up with certain restrictions up and down the east coast of Florida. Jan, as far as those restrictions go, the beaches opening back up, I mean, I know that we've had clear beaches for so long because of this COVID-19 outbreak. What is it looking like with the beaches now? Like, are you concerned about people being outside and trying to go swimming? So, you know, as far as coronavirus and COVID-19 goes, you know, I think there's a lot of people, people want to get out. They want to get outside, you know, whether, whether that's, you know, good for, good for the virus or not, we don't really know. But but people want to get out. They want to get outside. They want to do things. Most beaches uh, that are open, uh, many are very crowded, as you know, as you've seen. You know, they're talking about crowds that are with, they would normally see on the 4th of July, on Memorial Day. At least one beach in Florida actually shut down again after it opened because it was so crowded. So you kind of have that, these huge crowds. And this is when you see the most problems with rip currents, obviously, is when you have huge amounts of people in the water. It makes sense that more people would get into trouble. There's a lot of things that people can do to protect themselves from rip currents that that people don't necessarily think about before you go to the beach. I don't know if a lot of people know, but the, the National Weather Service actually puts out a surf zone forecast. So you can check the hazards in your area, as you guys know, by, you know, you can Google your surf zone forecast for your town or the area you're going to, and it'll, it'll come right up and tell you if there's hazards that day, including rip currents. You know, swim where there's a lifeguard. That's, that's mm-hmm. really... The number one rule always when going to the beach, swim where there's there's a lifeguard and be aware of the flags that the lifeguards have up and what the different flags, what the different flags mean. I mean, it's really, really important all the time to know those things, but especially when there's a threat of hazards there um, and things like that happening. Yeah, this is actually the system, as we expected to kind of head to the Northeast, right up the Florida coast, the Georgia coast, looking at the Carolinas with impacts. That region right there in the Atlantic, when we have a low pressure system, necessarily even a tropical cyclone of any sort, um, it tends to send a lot of swell south. It's kind of like this sweet spot, actually, for surfers that live or like to surf on the Space Coast or the Treasure Coast of Florida on the East Coast. And so it's very tempting whenever we have a system like that to want to get out in the water. But the rip current risk is significant with this for that reason, because we do, even if it's sunny where you are and you think, oh, that tropical mess is to our north, that doesn't mean that you don't still have those risks. Now, we kind of have talked a lot about Florida, but Linda, this is also going to be, we're watching for impacts along the Georgia coast. 
North and South right. Carolina. What is it looking like and and timeline wise as well with potential impacts there? Yeah. So as you head farther north, you are not out of the clear yet as far as either indirect or direct impacts at this point. Uh, high surf will be likely along much of the southeast coast. As far as direct impacts, that's a little bit more questionable as the exact track of the system remains questionable at this point. What's new? I know, right? Like that just seems to be how, it, how it's been going, right? Like, right. You know, and Red in the that, needle every time. Yeah. And it makes it so tricky because just a small change in the track can make a big difference for people. You know, just a matter of a few, you know, 10, 15, 15 50 miles can mean the difference between you have no real impacts, you know, just coastal, uh, um, coastal concerns versus you're expecting some gusty winds and some rain. At this point, especially if you're in parts of the Carolina coast, North Carolina coast, I would be expecting the chance for some rain and gusty winds with this system as it tracks um, towards as we head towards Sunday, Monday, and even potentially even to the tidewater of Virginia. That is not out of the question that we could see some rain uh, and winds, but this is not expected to be a hurricane. So we're not expecting hurricane force uh, sustained winds at this point. More of, you know, just, you know, tropical storm force gusts possible, more of a heads up, be aware, uh, not really something to be overly concerned with, but, you know, since it is beginning, the beginning part of the season, I mean, technically, officially the season starts June 1st. So although I will say on today, May 15th, uh, the Eastern Pacific hurricane season officially starts. So things really do start ramping up during this time of year. So all around the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. So it, yeah, exactly. It's not even just in the Atlantic at this point of the year. So more of a heads up, uh, be sure to check your forecast especially as, as we head towards tomorrow, because once the system actually forms, that is when we get have a much more solid idea of where the center will track, which gives us a better clue on how far reaching the impacts will be. Or, you know, hopefully it will just be out to sea and it'll just, you know, bring some high surf currents, which we can, uh, you know, take uh, precautions for. And there's also anytime you're on the north side of a system like this, that's kind of hugging the coast, you have those onshore winds, we might see a little you might see a little bit higher than normal tides, you might see, you know, a little bit of that, of that coastal flooding, we're not looking at anything major with this right now. It's not like there's this huge fetch within this storm that's going to be not this giant wind field like, you know, Sandy, for example, nothing, nothing even remotely. I don't even know why I said Sandy, guys. I'm not making that comparison. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't believe I let that word slip out of my mouth. Um, But I will make a little comparison to the last time that we had, and if this storm is named, it's Arthur. Right, right. And the last time that we saw Arthur was in 2014, and it had some similar, I, want to, I mean, it's not a similar path, but kind of similar origins where it's mm. like a baroclinic system. You know, you're looking at these fronts, and this is what happens this time of year in the tropics. We have a lot of homegrown storms. These aren't emerging from the mid-Atlantic and making their way, you know, to the coast. These are forming very close to shore and a lot of times along frontal boundaries, along troughs. And that's kind of what's happened. That's what's happening in this situation. And that's what happened with Arthur in 2014, right. which became the earliest landfalling hurricane in North Carolina history. I remember that storm vividly. It was actually the first storm I covered for weather.com. I had just moved over from the TV side and it was the first hurricane I covered uh, 
here. And it was right around the July 4th weekend. So it impacted a lot of holiday plans, unfortunately. So I think a lot of people will remember that, especially if you were planning a vacation towards the Carolina coast. It <laughs> vacations. Are- what are those? Right back when we took vacations uh, and, and thought we could go out and have fun all, <laughs> and do whatever you wanted. In the before times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it made landfall. Uh, we had gusts. I believe the highest wind gust was 101 miles per hour on Cape Lookout. So it was a pretty, pretty impressive uh, storm for early July for the Carolinas. And then it continued tracking northward and it brought some heavy rain and wind gusts even into New England for the 4th of July weekend. So uh, yeah, that, I mean, it, I, I'm not expecting it to become a, a category two hurricane like uh, that, this, that last Arthur, but it is interesting that it was located off the Southeast coast in a, in a similarish fashion. So, but as you mentioned, it is, that is more common earlier in the season to, we look closer to home often for the potential for subtropical and tropical storms. So. Now, far away from home, we've had Vong Fong, and there have been significant impacts with that system. Can you guys bring me up to speed on that? Yeah, I can tell you um, the the impacts so far from that. Um, there, There is at least one person who has been killed there in the Philippines in the area where it came ashore yesterday. And there's a lot of devastation. I mean, homes destroyed and trees down and widespread power outages. There's still some more remote villages that they haven't been able to get to yet or have contact with yet, which is fairly common when a when a storm goes through there just because the infrastructure there isn't as strong as it is in other places. So they're still kind of assessing the damage and, and we'll probably still hear a lot more um, coming out of there, I would imagine, in the next day or two. And they're, they're dealing with, you know, coronavirus there too. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see what's going on there with their sheltering processes and coronavirus. You know, Philippines, the U.S., two entirely different populations and and situations, but it gives you a little bit of insight into the thought process behind it all. You know, they've they've evacuated in one region. They've got one hundred and forty five thousand people in shelters. Wow. And yes. And so how do you even do that? How do you you know, the 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 national government said, you know, put out some some guidance for the Philippines that said keep shelters at 50% capacity so that we can maintain social distancing. I don't know how you do that when you have 145,000 people that you're trying to keep safe from a storm. I, I mean, the logistics, yeah. that's such a nightmare. I, just, I mean, because if you need to do that, then do you need to find that many more shelters? And how do you that, transport the people there? I That's that's hard. Yeah, that's what they were doing in some places was looking for more buildings to use as shelters. They did mention that the evacuation process took longer because they do, the government transports a lot of people because they don't have vehicles or, or again, the infrastructure is not as built up. And so they were transporting people in smaller groups. So it was taking longer to get them out of their villages. And, you know, they mentioned there's that, that, for example, if they have a facility that could normally hold 40 families. You know, right now it can maybe only hold four, depending on the size of the family. Oh my goodness! So wow. it's it's really an interesting look at at those complications that we've talked about so many times uh, mm-hmm. when we have severe weather happening in this in this time of coronavirus. It's just another challenge to throw that way, and I I it is that time of year, like I was talking about for the Northern Hemisphere. The planet, to me, this is is kind of fascinating that no matter what kind of year we have in the Atlantic, whether it's, you know, slow, a slow season, not a lot of named storms, or maybe we have a ton. And that's kind of our frame of reference. We look a lot at the Pacific and the Atlantic because that's 
that's what impacts us in the U.S. But if you look at the globe on a whole, you have around the same number of tropical cyclones around the globe every single year. And it's just my favorite. It's one of my favorite weather facts because it's just, you know, it's a way of the planet kind of self-regulating temperature and things like that. So we have this little system that's trying to get going in the Atlantic. And then we have Vong Fong, that typhoon impacting the Philippines is still going to bring some heavy rain there. And then we're looking at the Bay of Bengal, where we also could see a tropical cyclone develop. And personally, for me, I always that just really makes my stomach drop because of how vulnerable Bangladesh and some of these other areas are more people die in Bangladesh from weather disasters than anywhere else in the world. Um, I mean, it is the deadliest place. Storm surge there is horrific. And it's a, so I just always, anytime I see hints that we're looking in that area, Linda, I mean, I know you know that too. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just awful. Like whenever you see the potential for uh, a powerful tropical cyclone in that area, I think we all get a little bit nervous and, you know, hope that, the forecast is not as dire as some of the models show. In this case, we're still waiting for uh, a system to, to develop, but all indications are that we will have a system develop over this weekend and track into the Bay of Bengal and exactly where it tracks still is uncertain. And I think once we actually get that center to form and we'll get some better data on exactly where we expect the worst impacts. But at this point, I mean, Bangladesh definitely needs to be on alert. And, you know, as Jan mentioned with the Philippines, like you would need, they will need more time and additional planning than they usually do. And as we know, I mean, it already can be very deadly there. So it's very uh, nerve wracking, I'm sure, for any emergency planners in that region right now trying to figure out what do you do with all of the people that are potentially at risk with this next mm-hmm. uh, system. So, I mean, you have refugee not- camps there, you know, that are in these vulnerable storm yeah. surge prone areas right along the coast. I mean, it just, and even without oh. storm surge in, in other areas too, heavy rainfall will be a mm-hmm. concern. So those even away from the immediate coast will uh, need to take precautions and p- potentially evacuate as well. So that, that will be a, an important story to watch as we head into next week. Well, we kind of went around the globe with some of these tropical systems that are getting going. I thank you guys as always for chatting with me about this. It's always a pleasure. Uh, same same to you both. Yeah, thanks, it's, Kate. It's nice to it's be with nice you guys. To, yeah, I like, I like seeing your faces. I know you guys can't <laughs> see our faces, but we can see each other's faces and it's nice. It a little human so interaction. Nice. It is. All right. As always, if you want to know more about this potential tropical cyclone, or perhaps it's named a subtropical storm, or maybe we just get Arthur straight out of this deal on the East Coast, you can go to weather.com or your Weather Channel app. We consistently update everything on there. We have people working around the clock to make sure that you have all the latest information and you can get those updates. And don't forget that you can also listen to these podcasts, subscribe, and get the latest weather information and chats like this right into wherever you listen to your podcast. Whether it's on iTunes or the Apple Play Store um, or the Google Play Store, that's the one. Any of those above places. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for uh, joining us for this conversation.